This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut, at least for a little while. Well, actually, it'll still be seven minutes past nine o'clock, but we're still here in Middletown, Connecticut, at least for a little while. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake up call on Sports Country Radio, the 12th day of October 2021. A happy day in Red Sox Nation as the Boston Red Sox take out the 100 win Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa won a franchise record number of games this year, but it doesn't matter. They are going home to play golf in this Red Sox team that very few people thought was going to be a playoff team is now in the American League Championship Series. We'll find out today or tomorrow whether it'll be the Chicago White Sox or the Houston Astros, but at least for a couple of days, Red Sox Nation can take a breath sit back and uh, revel in the fact that they took out the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Look, uh, in typical Red Sox fashion, they didn't make it easy. And uh, (laughs) we'll we'll get to all that in a minute. A couple of other games yesterday were shutouts. Uh, The White Sox in Houston got rained out. Uh, They will play this afternoon at 2 o'clock um, and uh, we'll see what happens as far as that goes. Uh, Houston was able to reshuffle its starting rotation based on the rainout, so uh, uh, they are going to try to close out Chicago today, and uh, so we'll see what happens this afternoon with that. Got lots of other stuff. Uh, an absolute collapse in the NFL last night. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, when I turned on the game, I was watching the Red Sox game, and I turned on the game, and Indianapolis was beating uh, – the Ravens fairly handily. And so I, which, you know, shocked me. And I was going back and forth, mostly watching the baseball game. And then I turned on football when the Red Sox game was over and just watched this collapse. It was unbelievable. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit too. And uh, John Gruden, let's start with John Gruden. Before we get to the Red Sox, let's start with this mess. You could see this coming from 87 miles away. John Gruden resigned as the Los Angeles or Las Vegas Raiders coach last night. Um, and you know, here's the deal. If I'm, I don't, I don't have any inside information, but I would be shocked if the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis, didn't say to John Gruden, you either resign or I fire your ass, you know, and look, Mark Davis wanted John Gruden as coach. Let's, let's be clear about that. He tried to get Gruden as his coach for some time, finally landed him back in 2018 signed a 10-year 100 million dollar contract so this had to be painful for Davis but when the news came out about the emails 
that had been exposed that John Gruden had been writing as far back as 2011 when he wasn't even a coach in the NFL at the time. He was working as an analyst for ESPN on Monday Night Football. Homophobic, sexist, uh, just reprehensible stuff. And look, you know, here's the thing. People are acting shocked about this. But I don't know, and I know it's 2021, folks, and I know that, you know, uh, everybody is supposedly, you know, everybody's woke now, right? And everybody is uh, supposedly on board with, uh, you know, uh, the new way of the world, the, you know, accepting uh, homosexuality as, uh, as I don't want to say normal, but just ex- being more respectful of people who are... Uh, uh, gay people that are bisexual people that are transgender. I mean, you know, but let's make no mistake. There is a huge amount of our population that is not on board with that. Take a look at Donald Trump supporters, folks, but not just that. This is a culture in the NFL that is a macho culture. Why do you think we never had openly gay players until a few years ago. It's because of the the uh, culture around the sport of football. And if you think that culture doesn't still exist, you are sadly mistaken. Not just at the pro level, but at the college level, at the high school level. These kids are taught to be macho. You know, to be man's men and... and, and you know, you didn't, you don't accept that kind of stuff. And, you know, the words that are used by coaches to describe players who don't give their own are not, uh, politically correct. It's common. So if, is anybody, well, you know, I guess people are acting shocked about this, but I'm not. And John Gruden, who I always thought was an idiot anyway, never a fan, you know, a guy I thought it was an overrated coach to begin with. But, you know, and and just you, you look at the guy and you knew that he was part of that culture. So, you know, for him to go after gay players, for him to insult Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, by using gay slurs, uh, by going after the fact that the NFL has hired female referees. None of this surprises me. Now, the one thing I will say I am surprised at, and this is this is this is where to me it gets a little bit deeper, you know, because the macho thing with the with you know being going against you know the gay culture the lbgtq community i get all that i don't and when i say i get it i mean i understand how it happens because that is what the culture around the nfl and around football in general is but to find out that john gruden also used racial slurs in emails including at one point saying that a black player had lips the size of Michelin tires. That, to me, when the, when the NFL 
is overwhelmingly populated with black players is the part to me that's even more shocking. The gay stuff and uh, all that, uh, look, uh, you know, and the misogynistic against female referees and all that. But this goes even deeper because now you've got John Gruden, and I don't know whether he thinks he's funny by saying stuff like that. But you can't, you know, look, when 90% or 80% of the players on your roster are black and you are in evils using racial slurs, I mean, they had to fire this guy. So they can call it a resignation all they want. And I'm sure that's what it was. I'm sure he was given the opportunity to resign. And he said, I love the Raiders and I don't want to be a distraction. Ha! And he said, I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt anyone. You know what? That's like, you know, I, I suppose maybe he's maybe that maybe he really feels that way. And he's just such a moron that he doesn't understand that you can't just say things like that without there being consequences to your actions. And, you know, they're in an email, so he figures that they're private. Well, here's the problem, and this is the thing that, that I'm sure bothers him, is that these emails only came to light because the NFL was investigating the Washington football team because of the mess that went on there with the, uh, the workplace misconduct investigations into Washington. And as they were going through the emails from Washington, that's where they discovered an email from John Gruden showing that uh, uh, denouncing the, the drafting of a gay player and, you know, and criticizing the tolerance of players protesting the national anthem, among a whole bunch of other things. These all came to light because of that. Well, then, of course, then you have, once that happens, the NFL is going to start digging deeper. So, you know, and they find that these emails that, that, that they found go all the way back to 2011. So, you know, and uh, this was first reported by the Wall Street Journal, followed up by the New York Times. And once this came out, you knew it was just a matter of time. So John Gruden's career with anything in the NFL is over. He is never going. You're not going to see him on television. You know, he's not going back to ESPN as an analyst. He's not going to be on Fox or CBS. He is kryptonite. You can't touch this guy now. You know, and I don't know what the status of his contract is going to be. I don't know whether the Raiders are going to be on the hook for the $10 million bucks a year. My guess is the Raiders will find a way to get out of it, as they should be able to, quite frankly. I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, I don't know how the contract is worded, if there's a, you know, for cause thing in there or there's a morals clause or whatever. But I would think as much as Mark Davis wanted this guy, $10 million bucks a year for a guy, you know, that you still owe six years to, uh, that's a big nut to swallow. You know, but you the other side of the coin is as well, the Raiders should have done their homework. You know, 
Uh, so, but I suspect they will be trying to get out of that contract. But I, you know, look, I hope John Gruden was smart with his money because he's not coaching again anywhere. He's not going to work on television or in radio. This guy is going to become persona non grata around the league. He has to. And no college is going to touch this guy. So talk about blowing up your career. You know, and look, we've seen this time after time after time, whether it's in, you know, uh, you know, actors and uh, producers and directors in Hollywood with musicians. I mean, we just find, you know, people that continually find ways to shoot themselves in the foot because this is 2021. There is no such thing as privacy. With the 24-hour news cycle, with social media everywhere, there is no chance that you are going to be able to keep things that you have done private. You just, you know. So, and, and look, we, you know, and, and I have a problem with some of the stuff that's going on now where, you know, or has been going on for years, where we are digging up social media posts for athletes when they were kids, when they were teenagers, and and holding that against them when they're dumbass kids. And we're holding you know them accountable for things they said when they were 15 years old. I have a problem with that. But John Gruden is a grown man. He is a, well, he's well past grown. John Gruden is my age. You know, and you... <laughs> He has nobody to blame but himself. But, you know, and, and, you know, I guess in an email you have some reasonable expectation of privacy. But when you work in a huge corporation like the NFL and with the Raiders, there's no privacy. Everything that you do can be scrutinized, will be scrutinized, because the league and the teams have to protect themselves. So chalk John Gruden, and this isn't cancel culture. People that want to say cancel culture, this is that's not this. This is exposing a guy who is homophobic, who is misogynistic, who is racist. And he can say, I'm not racist. You know, you can say that all you want. But at the end of the day, if you are using racial slurs, you are racist. Period. You know, you don't. Uh, the definition, by the way, of a racist isn't somebody that uh, is burning crosses on somebody's lawn. If you are using racial slurs publicly or privately, you are a racist. Period. There's no other, there's no middle ground here. And you can say, well, you know, it's, you know, it's just something that happens, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the culture. No, no. The macho thing is part of the culture. The, I, I, again, I don't have to agree with it, but I understand the, you know, uh, a man's man when we don't like people that are gay and we're going to call people that, you know, that don't put out, we're going to call them. Uh, and I'm not going to use the, the, the homophobic slurs here, but look, I worked in college, uh, major college football for 25 years 
and I've heard things that coaches have called their players, and many of them reference people that are, or specifically men who are gay. And those slurs are used on a consistent basis. Maybe not as much as they used to be, but it was commonplace. And John Gruden is from the old school. Doesn't make it right, but I understand that part of it because it has been something that's been ingrained in that culture for so long. Racism has never been right. It wasn't right when we had slaves, you know. It wasn't right during the Civil War. It wasn't right after the Civil War. It wasn't right in the, in the 20th century when, you know, the Civil Rights Movement were started. And, and we're still in 2021 still fighting for equality for people of color. disgraceful and to have a guy who is a head coach in a major sports league the the without argument the biggest sports league in this country you could make the case it is the biggest sports league in the world although the english premier league you know might want to argue with that but the nfl is in the top two or three biggest professional leagues in the world in any sport period And to have this guy in a league where it is primarily black players using that language, whether it's in an email or wherever, you just can't have it. So hasta la vista, John Gruden. Good riddance. So that's number one. Now let's get to some good news. (laughs) Because... Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, this that, that popped up, by the way, in, in the middle of Monday Night Football last night, which is exactly what the NFL needed to hear. But I, I needed to get that off my chest because it's pissed me off since it, it happened last night. Or actually, it's pissed me off since I found out that the emails, when the emails came to light. Because I never liked the damn guy. And, and, and I don't, look, I'm not, and look, I'm not saying that John Gruden needs to go to jail. I'm not saying that, John, you know, I'm just saying that John Gruden needs to go away. You know, he just needs to go away. And hopefully we have heard the last of Mr. Gruden. Now, to the Boston Red Sox from last night. The good news. Uh, This game, as I said, uh, was a microcosm of the Red Sox season. I mean, look, you know, the the season started off awful. They lose that opening series to the... uh, the Baltimore Orioles and the sky's falling and the Red Sox are going to be terrible. Now, most people thought the Red Sox were going to be a 500 team, but then they explode. And now they're leading the American League East for a good part of the season. And then COVID comes. And they get hammered with 13 players on the COVID list. And all hell breaks loose and the world caves in. And next thing you know, they're you know nine games back in the American League East and fighting for a playoff spot. And then all of a sudden, they get hot again at the end of the season. And here we are in the playoffs. Well, last night, they jumped out to a 5 nothing lead in the third inning. The Rays knew it was going to be a bullpen game going in. They started Colin McHugh, who has done a great job as an opener all season whenever they've used him. He pitched two innings, two scoreless innings, gave up a hit, but that's it. They take him out. Shane McClanahan comes in. Shane McClanahan, who can throw the ball 100 miles an hour, comes in, and in two-thirds of an inning gives up five hits, five runs, walks a guy, doesn't strike out anybody. A guy that throws 100 miles an hour can't strike anybody out. 
and the Red Sox crush him for five. Now, this is the sh- same Shane McClanahan, by the way, who for in game one was untouchable. And then, you know, they finally get him out, but by the time they get him out, the damage is done. And this is one of those things where, you know, I was on a podcast on the Boys of Summer podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about manager of the year, who's the best manager in baseball. And I said, as much as I hate the Tampa Bay Rays, the way they run their organization with the not spending money and, you know, thinking they're smarter than everybody else and, you know, doing all these strange things, it pays off. And Kevin Cash has always pushed all the right buttons. Last night, he didn't push the right buttons. Now, let's go back to that uh, that third inning, right? So, now you can say, well, Colin McHugh only gave up a hit in two innings. Why don't you leave him in? This is what they've done with Colin McHugh all year. So, I can't criticize him for that. You know, to me, there was nothing wrong with that part of it. But when the third inning comes... Right. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got big problems here because he gives up the leadoff single to uh, Christian Vasquez. Well, then he gets Christian Arroyo to fly out. So they got the first out. Well, then he walks Kyle Schwarber. Gets Enrique Hernandez. So Kike's out, you know, and something that hasn't happened a lot in the, the, AL, the AL Division Series. You get Kike out. But then Rafi Devers absolutely crushes a ball. Hit this thing over 400 feet, dead, dead center field. There was a no doubter. And this is a Rafi Devers who has looked awful at times. He's got some kind of an injury going on. I don't know what it is. But last night, he didn't look like a guy that was hurt. But the night before, in game three, every time he swung, it looked like uh, he was in massive amounts of pain. But when McClanahan literally threw the ball right down the middle of the plate, the first pitch that Devers saw from McClanahan was 98 miles an hour right at the belt, and Devers crushed it. So now it's 3 nothing. And you're saying to yourself, well, maybe Cash is going to, you know, because this is a, you know, a must-win game. If you lose, you're out. I kind of half expected him to go get McClanahan. He doesn't. Okay, you know what? That's fine. Well, then Xander Bogarts follows that up. And on the second pitch that Bogarts sees, he singles to left. So you're like, okay, he's just giving up the homer. He's now given up three hits and a walk in two-thirds of an inning and three runs. Maybe I need to go get him now. Nope. Leave him in. What's next? Alex Verdugo doubles off the wall and left. Bogart scores. It's now 4-0. Runner on second base. Kevin Cash still doesn't come out of the dugout to get McClanahan. You have now given up three straight hits on five pitches. Doesn't get him. Leaves him in to face J.D. Martinez. He works to count full to J.D. Martinez. J.D. then singles to left field. Alex Verdugo scores from second base. It's now 5 nothing. Finally, 
Kevin Cash comes out and gets him. That's like closing the barn door after the horse got out. Just look. And you could say, well, it's easy for you to say, you fat bastard sitting on your couch. Okay, but I've watched, you know, a few thousand baseball games in my life, and I know the game pretty well, and coached a little bit myself, and I knew you had to get the damn guy out of there. Especially, you know, you've got a million guys in that bullpen. Well, finally they go out and get them, and Chargois comes in, gets out of the inning, and then the bullpen does a great job after that, right? Kittredge comes in a couple of innings. Patino redeemed himself after uh, getting whacked around the night before when Christian Vasquez beat him. Fleming comes in. He struggles. They No no hesitation on the hook there. Fleming gives up two hits. They get him out right away. Fairbanks comes in, gets out of trouble. And now, you know, so we go into the ninth inning, and it's a tie game because the bullpen's done its job. But the problem is, is that Kevin Cash just waited too long. You know, he just did. Period. So it's 5 nothing, right? Looks great. You know, I'm already... Uh, only half paying attention to the game. Seriously. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, uh, I was working and, and, uh, I had the game on and I'm watching it obviously, but I'm like, I got this one already in the bank, right? This game is over. Red Sox are going to the ALCS. I can relax. Well, they get a run in the fifth inning, you know, which is fine. You know, it was, it was one of those things where, um, they should that that run probably should not have scored or should not have happened because it was in the fifth inning. Jordan Luplo doubled down the left field line, but it was a ball that Rafi Devers should have caught. It was uh, it was like he mistimed his jump or he took his eye off the ball. The ball was, you know, about maybe a foot over his head, and he jumped up high like he thought it was going to be higher. And it wasn't hit that hard. It deflected off of his glove and went down the line. That should have been out number one. Right? <laughs> you know, and then he gets Yandy Diaz to fly, so he gets the first out. But then Austin Meadows singles, the run scores, and, and you're like, ah, you know. So they, it's 5-1, but that was one to me, you know, that should not have happened. And I, I guess you can't give an error on that, but to me, you know, Devers just misplayed that ball, and I think he'd tell you that he should have caught it. So, you know, but look, we still, we've gotten through five innings, and Erod, who pitched an inning and two-thirds in the first game, has gotten you through five, and he's given up one run on just a couple of hits. He has struck out six. He didn't walk a batter. So then we get, so it's 5-1. We go to the sixth inning, and Kevin Kiermeyer doubles. Alex Verdugo uh, had no shot to get to that. So Kiermeyer's on second. Alex Cora does not hesitate. Gets Erod out of there. Tanner Hauk, who's been great, comes in. He gets Randy Arena, but then Wander Franco, and I swear... <laughs> Wander Franco is the Red Sox daddy. Now, it didn't end up in the end, you know, didn't kill him, but Wander Franco has owned the Boston Red Sox this year. Uh, and he's owned them in this postseason. He hits a home run over the uh, center field wall off a of Hauk, just crushed it 
And now it's 5-3. Hauk gets out of the inning. He gets Brandon Lau, and he gets Nelson Cruz. By the way, Nelson Cruz has looked awful in this series. He looks like he's 100 years old. But it's still 5-3. You know, I mean, it was disappointing that Hauk gave that up, but it's still 5-3. So now we go to the seventh. They bring in Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor does a great job. Um, pitches a scoreless seventh inning. Now we go to the eighth. And my first thought, when we go to the eighth, the Red Sox are up 5-3. Garrett Whitlock. Where's Garrett Whitlock? He's got to be in this game. Nope. Alex Cora goes to Ryan Brazier. And I'm not, again, this is not second-guessing. I'm sitting in my chair in my living room going, okay, it's a tight game. You got to get Whitlock. Get him in there and get him in there now. (laughs) Well, he gets Brazier in the game. And it didn't go well. So Brazier comes in to a two-run game. Gives up a double to Zanino on the second pitch. Goes 1-1 on Kiermaier. He doubles. Now it's 5-4. They come to the mound, I'm thinking, you know, and, you know, you can't take him out because he's got to face three batters. So what happens? Randy Orozarena, single to right. Kiermaier scores. We're tied. And the thing that pissed me off about this play, and they got away with it, but that single to right field that scored Kiermaier, Kiermaier's fast. You weren't throwing him out anyway. But Hunter Renfro gets the ball in right field, and instead of holding Randy Arozarena to first base by getting the ball into the cutoff man, he airmails the ball to home. It's up the line, and Arozarena takes second base on the throw to the plate. Now, fortunately, uh, two things happened. Number one, Alex Cora went to the bullpen and got Garrett Whitlock, who they, he should have put in to begin with, but he goes and gets Whitlock, and Whitlock gets him out of the rest of the inning. You know, and so, you know, he gets Wanda Franco and he gets Brandon Lau and then he gets Nelson Cruz and we go to the bottom of the eighth. And the Red Sox look like they had a chance in the bottom of the eighth. They get a uh, Alex Verdugo reaches on a throwing error by Wanda Franco. J.D. tried to hit the ball to right field to move the runner to third base. Couldn't do it. Well, he got it to right field, but he couldn't get it deep enough. So Verdugo has to hold. Well, then, you know, Renfro flies the ball to right field. It's fairly deep. Verdugo decides he's going to try to tag up and reach third. Gets hosed out by Kevin Kiermeyer. Now, the replay made it look like he was safe. I think Verdugo was actually safe. They well, they went to the replay and the replay, you know, they had called him out on the field and they decided that the replay wasn't definitive enough to overturn the call, so it stood. You know, so we go to the ninth. Garrett Whitlock comes out and again Garrett Whitlock does the job in the ninth inning. And so we go to the bottom, and that guy Christian Vasquez once again leadoff single. Christian Arroyo with a bunt. Red Sox had a handful of bunts all season. Christian Arroyo with a with a textbook bunt advances Vasquez to second base. People are screaming, by the way, on social media. I can't believe teams still bunt. I can't believe they still bunt. Yeah, well, guess what? 
Bunting did the trick here because the bunt gets Vasquez to second base. Travis Shaw with an infield single, although I'm not sure it really was an infield single, but it was. Vasquez goes to third. And by the way, if they don't, you know, if if they don't bunt, well, Vasquez gets to second. And there we are, you know, and maybe there's even a play made at second base. But there we go. Because of the bunt, we have runners on the corners. Now Alex Cora goes to the bench, pinch runs Danny Santana for Christian Vasquez, who's obviously got more speed than Vasquez. Kike hits one to fairly deep left field, and Santana scores game over. So Red Sox advance, and uh, Tampa goes home. And look, you know, Kevin Cash had to answer some questions, and this is the second time now in the postseason. If you remember, remember that great game that that Blake Snell was throwing and Kevin Cash took Snell out in the fourth inning and they ended up losing that game because he had the quick hook? Well, now he doesn't have a quick hook with McClanahan. That game got out of hand, and the Red Sox ended up winning it because they were able to build that 5 nothing lead, despite the fact that McClanahan was fooling nobody. So the second time now in the postseason that Cash can be questioned for decisions that he's made with that pitching staff. It's not going to cost him his job. Let's not get carried away. They won 100 games. you know. But at the end of the day, Kevin Cash has to look in the mirror for this one and say, no, this one's probably on me. And if you are the Red Sox and you are Alex Cora, with what Garrett Whitlock did all season, having an ERA under two, and seeing what he has done in this postseason, and especially seeing what he did yesterday, there should not be another situation when the, we get to the eighth inning that you are not going to this guy. Period. You know, I know, I, look, he's going to be a starter down the road, but right now, he has been incredible. And you have got to ride that hot hand. You cannot go to anybody else down the stretch than him. I know Ryan Brazier, you know, the people say, well, you know, he had, you know, retired so many straight, you know, had so many straight scoreless innings. Yeah, yeah, I don't care. Garrett Whitlock right now is the only guy I trust in high leverage situations like that. He's it. Adam Adovino, you know, at, at times drives, you know, but he drives you nuts. Matt Barnes completely lost his feel. You know, Josh Taylor's been pretty good, you know, especially with lefties. I'll, I'll give him that. You know, and Brazier be a great guy in the sixth, uh, the seventh. But when we get to the eighth in the postseason, you have got to go to Garrett Whitlock unless he, you know, unless it's on back-to-back games where he's thrown two innings and you can't go to him again in the next game. Other than that, you have got, he's got to be the man, period. The end, period. All right, I've been rambling. I'm way over time. It's 41 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 43 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, a couple of other games in Major League Baseball playoffs last night. Both shutouts. The uh, Atlanta Braves beat the Milwaukee Brewers last night or yesterday afternoon 3 to nothing. Uh, they now have a 2-1 lead in that series. Ian Anderson 
was great for Atlanta yesterday. The Braves bullpen uh, also very good, a five-hitter. Uh, and it is the second straight game now that Atlanta has shut out the Milwaukee Brewers. Since winning the opening game of the series, um, the Brewers have not scored in 19 consecutive innings. They're 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position in the game yesterday. Um, Ian Anderson for five innings, allowed three hits over five innings. He struck out six, didn't walk anybody. You know, there may have been some thought about keeping him in, but it got to a situation in the fifth that uh, the pitcher spot came up. So Brian Snicker decides, well, we're going to pinch hit for him here. It's a scoreless game, a couple of runners on. So they go to Jock Peterson. And uh, Jocktober, as he is now known, uh, hits a three-run pinch hit home run, hitting for the pitcher Ian Anderson. And that was it for the game. It's all over. Uh, look, Jock Peterson, if you remember last year with the Dodgers, was great in the postseason, uh, had some huge home runs, signed with the Chicago Cubs in the offseason as a free agent, and then got traded to Atlanta and uh, didn't start. But it is the second time now in this series that Peterson has hit a pinch hit home run. So uh, they end up winning this game. Uh, Freddie Peralta started for Milwaukee. He hadn't pitched in a couple of weeks. Pitched four scoreless innings. He looked really good. But again, the Brewers were threatening in the fifth inning against Anderson. They had a couple of guys on and nobody out. And it looked like Anderson might be on the ropes. So they go to a pinch hitter. So Peralta only gets the four innings. And it turns out Milwaukee doesn't end up scoring. You know, and so, you know, who knows if, if, uh, they don't pinch hit for Peralta there. He's still in the game in the bottom of the fifth. Maybe they don't, you know, who knows? Who knows? You know, but Adrian Hauser is the guy that gave up the home run to Jock Peterson. And guess what? Adrian Hauser is also the guy that gave up a home run to Jock Peterson earlier in the series. So uh, to say that he owns him would be an understatement. Game four is today. Um, it looks like. Eric Lauer is probably going to get the start for Milwaukee today. They could go with Corbin Burns, the game one starter on short rest. Council has said, Craig Council, the manager, said he doesn't want to do that. I don't know why, quite frankly, unless Burns says he can't go. If you lose, you're going home. So if it's me, I want Corbin Burns in this game. As far as Atlanta goes, uh, they haven't announced their starter either, but they did say that there is a possibility that game one starter Charlie Morton uh, will get the start on short rest. But uh, as of right now, both starting pitchers are TBA uh, in that one. Uh, late last night, and I I did not manage to stay up through the ninth inning. I managed to make it until the middle of the eighth and I fell asleep. It was sometime around like half past midnight and uh, I just ran out of gas I fell asleep but the uh, San Francisco Giants beat the Dodgers last night one nothing on a home run by Evan Longoria Evan Longoria was in an 0 for 23 slump 0 for 23 but he took Max Scherzer deep uh, in the uh, the sixth inning, and that was it. It was the first time, by the way, Scherzer's lost a postseason game that he started since 2017 when he lost one against the Chicago Cubs. 
Um, you know, and look, the uh, the Dodgers had a couple of opportunities in the eighth and the ninth. There was one shot. Mookie Betts hit an absolute bullet uh, in the, I think it was in the, the eighth inning, that somehow Brandon Crawford got up high enough to snare. Looked like it was headed for the outfield. And then in the ninth, Two shots, two balls that were crushed. I, again, I fell asleep, so I didn't watch them live, but I saw the highlights this morning. Chris Taylor and Gavin Lux both crushed balls. And uh, Gavin Lux is, uh, was right at the uh, the wall. Fell short. And why? Because the wind was blowing to beat the band yesterday. Now, you don't usually see huge winds like that in Los Angeles. You know, it's something you expect in San Francisco. The wind last night, you know, had to be blowing... 20 miles an hour at times. I mean, it was, you know, Max Scherzer said that the wind was blowing in so hard that it was literally, when he was pitching, pushing him towards home plate. So uh, very unusual to see wins like that. Um, but uh, San Francisco manages to win this one. Alex Wood got the start for the Giants, went four and two-thirds against his former team, pitched pretty well. Tyler Rogers did a great job out of the bullpen, an inning and two-thirds of relief. Uh, he actually went longer in this game, I think, than he had all season. He threw like 28 pitches. Uh, they had to go get Jake McGee, who came in and did a great job. And then uh, uh, Duvall pitched the last two innings, picked up his first save of the uh, playoffs. But uh, the Dodger pitchers, you can't ask anymore. They only gave up three hits. Scherzer gave up three hits. He struck out 10, walk one. The only mistake was that home run to Evan Longoria. But uh, Blake Trinan out of the bullpen, a scoreless eighth. Kenley Jansen struck out the side in the ninth, uh, you know. And any other day, that ball hit by Lux in the ninth inning is out of Dodger Stadium. But the win held it in, and uh, they end up winning that one, one to nothing. So, uh, game four in that one today. Anthony DiScalfani will get the start for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, he got roughed up in game one. And uh, Dave Roberts has not announced a starter, but he has said that everything's on the table. So uh, outside of Max Scherzer, uh, <laughs> anything is on the table. And as I said, the uh, Giants, I mean the Astros and the White Sox this afternoon, Lance McCullers Jr., who shut out the White Sox for seven innings in the opening game of the series, will throw game four because they had that extra day off because of the rain. Uh Jose Arquiti was supposed to start game four, but now Lance McCullers will start that. Carlos Rodon is still going to get the start for the White Sox. Lance Lynn, who started game one, will be available out of the bullpen should they need it. And because, I mean, this is an all-hands-on-deck uh, because you lose and you go home uh, for uh, Tony La Russa and his Chicago White Sox. The winner, of course, gets to play the Boston Red Sox in the ALCS. I still can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, a couple other quick notes. I mentioned the NFL game last night. The Indianapolis Colts were up 22-3 to late in the third quarter. 22-3. But uh, you can't stop Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Just unreal. Uh, Jackson with a 11-play, 75-yard drive that finished with a four-yard touchdown pass uh, with 39 seconds left. And then a two-point conversion afterwards to tie the game at 22, send it, or at 25, send it into overtime. 
And then Jackson with a five-yard touchdown pass to Marquise Brown on the first possession of overtime to give the Ravens the win. And right now, Lamar Jackson is the MVP. I mean, look, yesterday he was 37 of 43 for 442 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Oh, and he also ran for 62 yards. He accounted. This is is no lie. This is unbelievable. The Ravens had 523 yards of offense in this game last night. Lamar Jackson accounted for 499 of those 523 yards. <laughs> Unreal. And for the Colts, Carson Wentz was really good. You know, Wentz threw for a career-high 402 yards, a couple of touchdowns, uh, and it just looked like it was over. But the, some kicking problems really hurt him. Uh Blankenship, the kicker, had a, had a uh, an extra missed an extra point in the third quarter. Uh, he had a thirty-seven yard field goal blocked with about four and a half minutes uh, to go, and uh, had another opportunity late that also went that he missed. You know, and now he hurt his hip in pregame warmups, so you know, just uh, a brutal loss for the Indianapolis Colts, who fall to now one and four. And the Baltimore Ravens uh, now four and one and in control of the AFC uh, Central Division. Unbelievable. Lamar Jackson, you know, Lamar Jackson in the AFC, and uh, probably Matthew Stafford right now in the uh, NFC are got to be the odds-on favorites for MVP. Just ridiculous. Um, one other quick uh, NFL note, by the way, they're, they're talking about playing some games in Germany and it's down to Dusseldorf, Frankfurt and Munich. Um, they have, uh, until today, uh, to submit their final bids to host a regular season game in Germany, uh, either next year or in 2023. I, I don't get it. I don't understand the fascination of American football in London and in Mexico and in Germany, but, uh, the NFL sees value in it. So though, and, and I know the players don't particularly like it. It's a pain in the ass. It uh, travels a bitch, but uh, they were going to have games in Germany starting in uh, 2022 or 2023. Uh, Last note before we get out of here this morning, uh, the NHL season kicks off tonight and a new broadcast uh, situation in the NHL. ESPN and Turner replace NBC. NBC had been the league's broadcaster since 2005. ESPN had not done a hockey game since 2004. Uh, and uh, they will team up with Turner starting tonight. Both uh, networks will have doubleheaders tonight, uh, and it'll be also be the debut of the Seattle Kraken, the latest uh, expansion team in the NHL. So uh, Mark Messier, a studio analyst for ESPN. Wayne Gretzky, uh, studio analyst for TNT. So uh, that all kicks off tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, I, I'm always excited about starting. I love I love the NHL. I you know baseball is still my favorite sport, and uh, but I love watching hockey. It's just uh, I can't wait for the start, uh, and I'll I'll be watching tonight, no question about it. I mean I'll be watching baseball too, but uh, and I'll be curious to see. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about ESPN, although John Butchergrass is great uh, uh, on on ESPN's coverage of hockey, but 
uh, ESPN has, you know, ceased to be, to me, uh, a legitimate uh, journalistic uh, endeavor. They're all about entertainment now and, and it, uh, overhyping things. So it may drive me nuts, but I'll be watching tonight, no question about it. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Chris Stapleton, a little Tennessee whiskey. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country 94.1.